started the recording late last week. It's okay. We are in Deuteronomy chapter 1, <clears throat> nearing the end of chapter 1, almost, almost out of chapter 1. I promise we'll get out of chapter 1 today and into chapter 2. We'll start, pick up in uh, verse 41, but uh, as with the last couple of times, we're going to kind of, where were we last week? Uh, last week we ended with God's judgment upon Israel's rebellion. How was it that they rebelled? How did they rebel? Disbelief. How did how did that show up? How was their disbelief manifest in their deeds? They feared going into the promise. Good. So the, the manifestation was they didn't do anything. You know, they were afraid, exactly, just like Arnold said. They were, they were afraid. Um, and why was that silly for them to be afraid? Because the Lord had showed them his power. Exactly. Elaine, what would you say? Wow, I just forgot what I Ty, what did you say? Because God told them to. Yeah, God told him, and he had just he had just he just brought him out of Egypt. Like, hello. Um, and as my my son was pointing out, as I was sharing with him, kind of the lessons that we were going through, the cloud by day and the fire pillar of fire by night never left him. It's like it's not ever God's presence was never gone; it was right there. So I didn't trust him. So none of those who could distinguish good from evil would go up to see the land, in verse 39. That also included Moses. Few were able to go in, Caleb and Joshua, uh, in their faithfulness for standing, let's go, let's do this, we can do this, God's with us. They were going to go in, Joshua's going to lead them, Caleb's going to waylay Hebron and uh, down by where Bethlehem is today, ultimately. And all the kids would go in as well. Uh, and we talk about, and this is, this is really important, as we look through God's word, that not all Israel was Israel. You, know, you can go, yeah, okay, I am of the seed of Abraham, but that does not make you part of God's redeemed people. Esau, uh, you, know, you look at Esau, no. It was going to be through uh, Isaac and Jacob, uh, that it was going to come, uh, the, the blessing of the Lord. Ishmael, also of the seed of Abraham, no, uh, neither that. So not all Israel was Israel uh, there. And we see not necessarily all that are in the church, let me put that in quotation marks, are in the church. And so... There really should be a sobriety. Um, There shouldn't be a doubt in our lives because John exhorts us to know. I write these things that you may know. But where's our confidence? Where's our, our eternal confidence that I will go to heaven? Faith in Christ. Yeah. Sing the hymn right now. In Christ alone, my hope is found. Christ alone. 
So Israel ultimately at the end, verse 40, as for you, turn and journey into the wilderness in the direction of the Red Sea. So that was that was God's answer to them. And 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 they went, Whoa, no, we've we've sinned. Good against the Lord. That's good. What is what is what are some typical responses for people when they are caught in sin? Okay, it's not my fault. Okay, everybody's doing it. More and more and more in our culture, it's like, who cares? Wow. Um, Israel's response is, I, I wrote down childlike. Childlike typically has kind of a winsome quality to it. Childish is more of a rebelliousness. Um, it's, their response is, is not childish it's childlike in that it's 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 just dumb you go that's just dumb um they acknowledge their sin in verse 41 we have sinned against the lord but that's like going okay i was taking a cookie when mom walks in your hands deep in the cookie jar like okay yeah i i, I sinned my, my bad um, but then they go, we ourselves will go up and fight just as the Lord has commanded us. Just as the Lord has commanded us. What's wrong? Too late. Too late. Too late. Okay, now, now I understand. Now I get it. Now I comprehend what you were asking us to do. I didn't. I didn't just like five minutes before, but now I get it. And you go, I think an interesting point in that that's common in our culture today is they just kind of expected a second chance. And so they're just like, yeah, we can, wait, there's no second, oh, wait, wait a minute, that was the only one. And, and so I think God's view of justice a lot of times is different than common connotations today. I don't know if it came out in our, our study last Saturday, but I've heard this a lot lately, that in the church today, in the culture today, people will just kind of, eh, God's in the business of forgiveness. He's a forgiving God. Eh. And cheap grace. Cheap grace. They, I guess they, they take for granted his mercy as well. I mean, it's... yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it's like oh, every, you know, everything's all better now. Okay, now we're going to obey him. So there should be no consequence to what I had just done. It's all clean now. It's all good. So essentially, here is here is the the child who's just wallowed in the mud puddle. Who's going, I'm going to clean myself up. And takes like a paper towel 
and trying to clean, you know, you just sit there, I'm going to hose you off, strip you naked and hose you off in the middle of the front yard there because there's nothing else that's going to clean you up because you are such a chocolate mess. And so we, we want to, you know, that's, let me, I, I can clean it up. I can clean, I can fix this. I can fix this thing. But our rebellion against the holy God cannot be fixed. I mean, it's, it's a done deal. We are convicted. We are, we are guilty. There. Every one of you fastened on his weapons of war and thought it easy to go up into the hill country. Now, once again, we see God's extraordinary grace uh, in verse 42. Uh, Joe, would you read 42, please? And the Lord said to me, tell them, do not go up and fight, because I will not be with you. You will be defeated by your enemies. Did God have to say that? No, he could have gone, oh, this is going to be ugly. Go ahead. Go ahead. And you, and you will. But God doesn't do that. God, God's abundant in his grace. And so even here in his warning to them, his warnings to us are gracious. We always think of discipline as, as the switch. The rod, the timeout, the, the mouth with soap, the paying a fine, all of those kinds of things. But discipline in coaching is oftentimes just a verbal positive, hey, do this or don't do this for your good. And God here, even in their disobedience, is warning them, don't do this. Don't go, will not fare well. And so Israel went, okay, not. Not. Um, Marie, would you read uh, 43 and 44, please? So I told you, but you would not listen. You rebelled against the Lord's command. And in your arrogance, you marched up to the hill country. The Amorites who lived in the hills came out against you. They chased you like a swarm of bees and beat you down from Seir all the way to Horn. In your arrogance. In your arrogance. You prideful little people. Will you not hear my voice? Did I just not? Did I? Did, parents. You know. These are adults that are being spoken to. A lot of times in our, in our adulthood, we think we're beyond this. No, we're not. We're as bad as little kids. God says, don't we? Oh, I can, fit. I can do this. God says, eh, don't do this. He warns us in his love and we do not listen. Why did God tell them not to go up in those verses? We're back in, back in, uh, 42. Why did he say, do not go up? He was not going to be in their midst. He said he wouldn't be with them. <clears throat> well, they, they, they had to prep themselves already, ready for war, so you only needed somebody to 
overzealous and let's go now because we're all burned up. You should not go up because he would be with them. Yep, that's he it. Would be defeated. Yeah, I'm not going to be with you. I mean, if you're going to go up on your own accord, you are completely on your own. You know, by the way, this is what's going to happen. You're going to get spanked. And what happened to him? You got spanked. Yeah, they got, they got. One of the ways that God disciplines us is by letting us live out the ugly consequences of our bad decisions. That is a discipline to our life. Heed the counsel. No, I'm going to go. Boom. Now you got to live with it. Live with it. You will. You will. We'll live with it. Should that then be a point of guilt in your soul for the rest of your life? It ought not. It can be. I mean, that can, that can ultimately, especially if you're already separated from God and your conduct and behavior, that can ultimately, Satan can use that to take you to your death. So here at the end it says that they went and did this, and then they came and they wept before the Lord, but the Lord did not listen to their voice. So can we assume from this that they were not truly repentant, otherwise the Lord would have listened? What child... That, okay, there, there are a few. Most children, after they are disciplined, are they all, Oh, hey, that was great! That was wonderful! Yes, they, and they can be crying and absolutely not repentant. Yeah, that's what, that's what I'm saying. Saying. You're not sorry, you're sorry, you got caught. Yeah. Yes, yeah. and so does scripture, when people are truly repentant, truly repentant, does God stiff arm them? No. No, he doesn't. We don't see that in Scripture. Uh, I got some verses a little bit later. That God is really tender uh, toward his children, toward uh, those he loves. There, especially when, when they are broken. So their warning, the warning came to not go up came from whom? Through whom? Moses. So Moses tells the people, don't go up, you're going to get schwacked. What? What? He said, that's probably exactly what he said. Don't go up, you're about to get schwacked. Schwacked, you're going to get clobbered. That sounds like a Jewish word. So... <clears throat> They heard God's command through Moses. Could that have hastened them into their sin? Yeah, because they just heard from the same guy. Yeah, you're not going to the promised land anymore. Well, I mean, you think of everything about this when you talk about God disciplining and how you still have to live with the consequences, but he still loves you, makes me think of when you discipline your children. And I know that there are times when I know I look at 
one of my children in particular and say, do not do this. And you can see the wheels turning in his head that he's already thinking about. And he maybe he won't. Maybe he won't. But if I say, do not touch this cup, he's going to come and he's going to bring his hand just like this. And he's not going to touch it, but he's going to look at me. And he's going to watch. And he's wants to know, he wants me to know that he's, that he's not doing it. But, you know. And so, probably, you know, you have that, you, you get told, no, don't do this. And it makes you want to do it more. Because who are you to tell me what I can and cannot do? Who are you? Okay, who are you, Shauna, that you can tell your children what to do? I am the authoritarian that God has put over them. That God has established. But you're just a person. And you're a fallible person. I've seen you explode, Mom, before unrighteously. So why should I listen to you? Because God says so. <laughs> because God, because says so. God <laughs> says so. So here Moses is commanding them. He's just a guy. They didn't hear God say it. Moses commanded them. And so do we push against our authorities? Like whom? Like parents. We push against our parents when we're younger. I think of wives. I mean, it's a, it, is, it is a struggle, as God tells you that it will be, to not push against your husband and the authority that he has over your family. Okay. Who else? Who else do we push against? Bosses. Refs, says the ref. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Bosses. Bosses? Who else do we push against? Anybody who has any authority over. Okay, let's let's, let's take it into this building. Pastor. Hey, pastor. Leaders. Happens all the time. Eh. Especially in our consumer, Google search, individual faith kind of culture that we are in, we don't we don't comprehend that God establishes those. Individuals for what purpose? For his glory and for your good. Oh, boom! <laughs> you know, for his glory and for our good. So why do we kick against them? Why do we not heed what they say? Now, are parents inspired and inerrant? No. no. Is there? Now, I'm, I'm going to assume most of the parents in here have established some sort of way that if, if there is something, if you have an issue, there's a way to approach the parent and bring up that issue because parents aren't perfect to talk to the parent about uh, my girls have heard me say this. My sons have heard me say this. If you've got an issue, you know, go do what I tell you to do right away, all the way with a good attitude. And if you, in, in the aftermath, if you want to come and discuss it or have the restriction released, talk to me. Because I'm not perfect. Here, in the, you know, the rules in the house aren't gospel. But like, likewise, in, in all you know, authorities, within the military, in the firehouse, on the court. There is a way to address things with respect and honor. But if it's just, then obey them because they're there for our good and for God's glory.
We don't want to. Do we believe that God has established these people in our lives for our good or not? Israel obviously did not. And so they got stung by the Amorites. And they were weeping. <coughs> now, yeah, repentance. Yeah, I mean, that se it seems awfully repentant, but obviously something was missing there. Um, Emma, would you turn to Isaiah? Kara, would you turn to Hosea? Hosea 11, Isaiah 54. You know, it says that God did not listen to their voice, and so they remained at Kadesh many days, the days that you remained there. You know, here, can God not hear, but still have a heart of compassion? Uh, Emma, Isaiah 54, verses 7 and 8. For a brief moment I deserted you, but with a great compassion I will gather you. In overflowing anger for a moment I hid my face from you, but with everlasting love I will have compassion on you, says the Lord your Redeemer. You know, oftentimes as a parent, when you have rebellion like that, you are just seething. <coughs> You are seething. And you're like just not even wanting to look at your kid for fear that you're going to do something ugly. But God disciplines justly and his wrath is perfect. And at the same time, his compassion is tender for his people, for his children. Hosea is a little bit longer passage. Hosea 11 verses 1 through 8. When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. The more they were called, the more they went away. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and burning offerings to idols. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up by their arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I led them with cords of kindness, with the bands of love, and I became to them as one who eases the yoke on their jaws, and I bent down to them and fed them. They shall not return to the land of Egypt, but Assyria shall be their king, because they have refused to return to me. The sword shall rage against their cities, consume the bars of their gates, and devour them because of their own counsels. My people are bent on turning away from me, and though they call out to the Most High, he shall not raise them up at all. How can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like the boys? Sorry. My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. Through 11. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, you're, you're good. That's right, 1 through 8. I mean, within, within this, this, these verses, you see the justice of God, and at the same time, you see his absolute compassion and love for his people. And what a God. What an extraordinary God. Uh, you know, it goes on, he says, I am God and not man. Oh, man, thankful. How thankful. 
the, the coming out of Egypt was during uh, the time of captivity as they essentially sought help from Egypt and ultimately Egypt would fail them. Funny that they would turn back to Egypt in a day for assistance and ultimately not to the living God. So, just a, a beautiful portrait of God there. And even in the events of today, even in the events of our own lives, as we feel disciplined perhaps in certain events or we are going through difficulties, let it never, let it never leave our minds that God is in favor of his people and God loves his people and God is tender toward his people. In chapter 2, any, any other comments before we move on here? Israel's going to press. Why do you think God chooses Moses or the voice of a man to give these warnings or these messages to the people in light of the, the kind of uh, temptation it can bring to, to doubt the messenger? To doubt the message because of the messenger. I, I really, I really think it's, it's, it is a question of faith. Are you going to trust? Now, I, I can see them doubting Moses when he walked back into Egypt for the first time, and that is why God gave him signs and wonders to affirm that he was God's spokesman, God's chosen spokesman, so that the people would know that through Moses I will speak to you an intermediary. Okay, kind of a sign to the future that we need one. We can't just go bebopping before the Lord. And so now that Moses has no, let me let me rephrase that. Now that God has proven that Moses is his spokesman. Will you, in faith and trust, continue to believe him? So that would that would be my my thought on that. All right, Tracy, would you read uh, chapter two, verse one, please? Uh, go ahead and uh, go through uh, verse 3. Sorry. Verse what? 3. Then the Lord said to me, You have been traveling around this mountain country long enough. Turn northward. All right. So ultimately what we're going to see here, and again, I apologize, you can look at the map in the back of your Bible if you want. Kadesh Barnea is where ultimately all of this mess happened. And they wandered there for a long time, and God ultimately told them to head east there um, and they cross over and head toward Edom we're going to talk about Edom Moab and Ammon a little bit later and this is the Dead Sea in the southern part of Israel and coming out of the Dead Sea is the brook of Zered right there that's going to come into play so rather than turn this back on and off a whole bunch just to kind of give you situational awareness um, where they're at, Kadesh Barnea, and they turn east from there, and now he's going to have them turn north after 
their wandering. Uh, let's see, verse 4. Ty, would you read verse 4, please? Verse 4, chapter 2. <clears throat> Says, and command, turn around, and command the people you are about to pass through the territory of your brothers, the people of Esau, who live in Seir, and they will be afraid of you. So be very careful. How far? Esau. Yeah, that's good. The territory of your brothers, the people of Esau. Okay, how far removed? Are we from Jacob and Esau time wise? Pretty Over 400 years, probably close to 500 years, four or 500 years. Whoa! And still they're linked. You know, it made me think of um, who, who would we as Americans. <laughs> Consider our brothers the British. the British. You know, the you know, you can go through. I mean, we're a melting pot primarily, but we we sought our independence from the British. There, uh, so over over four hundred years, and and they are still tied. And God <clears throat> seems to care about. Here, very interesting verses. Go ahead, tie and continue uh, with 5 and 6. Do not contend with them, for I will not give you any of their land. No, not so much as the sole of the foot to tread on, because I have given Mount Seir to Esau as a, as a possession. You shall purchase food from them with money that you may eat, and you shall also buy water from them with money that you may drink. Yeah. I thought God just worked with Israel. I thought Israel was God's chosen people. So to me, he doesn't care for anybody else. Yes, good, beautiful. Boo! You know, we, we tend to think of Israel. And God, nothing's happening in the rest of the planet. Not so. You know, God set Mount Seir aside for the people of Edom, Esau, there. And he tells Israel, hey, trade with them. That's fine. Great. Don't mess with them, but trade with them. Look at verse 7. For the Lord your God has blessed you, Israel, in all the work of your hands. He knows you're going through this great wilderness these 40 years, the Lord your God has been with you. You have lacked nothing. Okay, I'm, I am with you. Yes, absolutely. I'm taking care of you. You don't need to mess with your brother. Okay, you're going to pass through his land. You know, hey, we're not taking anything. Or if we're going to, we're going to, we're going to pay for it. There, it was great. Beautiful. So, you know, do not contend. Do not contend with Esau. You know, I, th I think verse, verse 7 is important. Is, is verse 7 even necessary? Should, let me rephrase that. Should verse 7 be necessary? Yes. 
It is, but should it be necessary? Yes. God thinks so. God thinks so. God thinks so. I would say it shouldn't be necessary. Should they know this? God has blessed you in all the work of your hands. Okay, okay, I'll buy that. But hasn't God already proven that to them? There's also a tendency to say that I've done it with my own power. Okay. So over and 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 over again in Scripture, we're told to remember. Remember. Don't let the sediment settle into the bottom of the lake. It becomes stagnant and dies and smells putrid. Something needs to turn it over, needs to roil the soil. In our minds, we have to remember. Remember. Man, this is why being in the Word of God is important. This is why praying to God to help me remember is important. This is why memorizing scripture is important. All of these things are important for our relationship with the living God and for functioning well and properly in this life. Remember. So we went on away from our brothers, the people of Esau who live in Seir, away from the Arabah road, from Elat and Ezion Geber. Uh, the Red Sea... You'll hear two. You'll hear referred to as two different ways. There's a up here at the north end of the eastern arm of the Red Sea. This would be Sinai. Down here is what the Jews refer to as Elat, and because the divide between Israel and Saudi Arabia or Jordan is right here. They call it Aqaba. So you'll hear this referred to as the Gulf of Elat or the Gulf of Aqaba. So as Israel moves from Kadesh Barnea, they end up going over there past Elat, there, or El, oh, down there at the bottom, the Hebrew spelling or the anglization of it. And we turned and went in the direction of the wilderness of Moab. Verse 9, the Lord said to me, do not harass Moab, or contend with them in battle, for I will not give you any of their land for a possession, because I have given R to the people of Lot for a possession. Who is Moab? Lot and his daughters. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just one of the evidences that Scripture is truth, because there are some really icky stories in in the Bible. And one of them is the death of Lot's wife as they were fleeing, fleeing Sodom and Gomorrah, leaving Lot with his two daughters who were young women. Lot's afraid of the town, so he goes to live in a cave. And I don't know if he was hating life or what, but he ends up, or his, his daughters get him drunk and sleep with him on consecutive nights. 
the eldest daughter births a child and calls him Moab, which means from father. Why was Lot rescued from Sodom and Gomorrah? Yeah. Yeah. You know, Peter says that in his second epistle. Righteous Lot. He refers to him as righteous Lot. And just like like so many in Scripture, you read through his life and you go, and that Samson is considered put in the hall of faith. And you look at Samson's life and you go, What, what an encouragement to us who are as prone to fall on our noses as these guys were. So it was given to Lot there as a possession also. Um, and I'm not going to make anybody read this stuff here. The Emim formerly lived there, a people great and tall, as tall and tall as the Anakim. Like the Anakim, they are also counted as Rephaim. But the Moabites called them Imim. Okay. The Horites also lived in Seir formerly, but the people of Esau dispossessed them and destroyed them from before them and settled in their place as Israel did to the land of their possession, which the Lord gave to them. So you see, again, as, as Edom or Esau goes, as the people of Lot go, God gives them possession of the land over these other people that are there, these giants in, in the land. Um, and we get to sort of a, a time stamp here, kind of let's, let's orient ourselves ge geographically and uh, in time in verses 13 through 15. Now rise up and go over the brook Zered. Okay, that's the one coming out of the Dead Sea. There, you're going to cross over that, ultimately heading to the north. There, so we went over the brook Zered. And the time from our leaving Kadesh Barnea until we crossed the brook Zered was 38 years. 38 years. They wandered, essentially, from Kadesh Barnea over toward the east, past Elat, and before they ultimately got the command to turn north. 38 years there. Until the entire generation, that is the men of war, had perished from the camp as the Lord had sworn to them. For indeed the hand of the Lord was against them to destroy them from the camp until they had perished. <clears throat> Will God fulfill his intention? Will he fulfill his promises? It's going to happen. It's going to happen. We can so take. How far north did they go from Elat? You can see Elat down here. So they came down. So, so they came up to Kadesh Barnea. They came across this way. I don't know if they went down beyond that. Apparently so. You know, maybe from Kadesh they wandered down this way. Again, a lot of these lines are just, uh, this is our best guess here. Was it just in that area? At one point in Numbers or something, they talked about them trying to cross Edom and then pay for the water and the food, and, and the uh, Edomites weren't having it. So that's why they had to depart to the south. 
thought I read that in that number. So. I, 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 would, I would be pulling it out of thin air. So I can't speak to that with the board at this point. Know that the Amorites came up against them there. And ultimately, that's why they are, or the Amalekites, the Amalekites came up against them. And that's why ultimately they are to be destroyed by Saul later. So the book of Zared is north of Edom. So here is the southern part of the Dead Sea, very faint, and Zared comes out this way. So they pass through Edom and they cross over Zared into Moab, and up north of Moab would be Ammon. <coughs> Go ahead. The Dead Sea empties into the brook, or the brook empties into the Dead Sea? Uh, based on the altitude, the brook empties into the Dead Sea. Everything that goes into the Dead Sea, yeah, nothing goes okay. out. Sorry. Yeah. yeah, it's highlands on both sides of the Dead Sea. 1,500 feet below sea level is the Dead Sea, which is interesting as close to the Mediterranean as it is. How steep. Yeah, it gives you an idea of just how steep the the cliffs and stuff are around there. Okay, so that's where they are uh, crossing over now into the, the north, the, the east of the Dead Sea at this point, crossing north of Zered. Verse 16, so as soon as all the men of war had perished and were dead from among the people, the Lord said to me, today you are to cross the border of Moab at Ar. And when you approach the territory of the people of Ammon... Do not harass them or contend with them, for I will not give you any of the land of the people of Ammon as a possession, because I have given it to the sons of Lot for a possession. Okay, Ammon is the second son by the younger daughter. There, from the people or for the people. There, uh, son of. Well, actually, his name. If you go back to Genesis, was Ben Ami. Whenever you see Ben or Ibn in a name, it means son of. Yeah. Son of Ami. Son of my people is what it would mean. So this is given to Lot as well. He has to conquer the land. Uh, it is also counted as a land of the Rephaim. The Rephaim formerly lived there, but the Ammonites called them. This is fun to say. The Zamzumim, a people great and many and tall as the Anakim, but the Lord destroyed them before the Ammonites. Okay, these are these are giants too. These are big people. Okay, Goliath. Like so, apparently it was normal amongst the people groups in there to have essentially a giantism. And for us, we look at somebody who's big and we go. But they, they die just like anybody else. And if God commands us, we have no fear. If he, he tells us he's, he's going to take care of it, that ought to be, ought to be our hope. And they dispossessed them and settled in their place at the end of verse 21, as he did for the people of Esau, who lived in Seir, when he destroyed the Horites before them, and they dispossessed them and settled in their place even to this day. As for the Avim, who lived in the village, I mean, very interesting historical points. Okay, now we're going to go over to Gaza. Gaza's on the Mediterranean coast. 
down if you're looking at the Mediterranean Sea, which would have been over here. Down here is what we would call the region of Gaza, down kind of at the corner. Egypt would be this way, Israel up over this way, even then. Uh, as for the Avim who lived in the villages of Gaza, the Kaf, Kaftarim who came from Kaftor destroyed them and settled in their place. I, you know, this is an innocuous historic point, but it's a historic point. That would make sense to them back then, but to us we go, uh, maybe an archaeologist has found the place of Kaftor today or may come up at, at some point in the future. But ultimately, I mean, how does this, how, how, how does God want to use this in our lives today? I don't know. I don't know. I find it edifying that, and this is kind of one of the, the, really the third point on where does this leave us, so I'm going to kind of jump around, that God does work in nations. Which nations? All nations. God works in all nations. Even today, I don't see that it ends because Christ came. Because in the Revelation, we see that the nations will bring to God their glory. will bring it into Jerusalem. The nations will. And so God, God works. Romans tells us that God sets up authorities and brings them down. So it's, what a great encouragement. You know, Israel ought not be smug. We ought not be smug. I think it's important for us to understand that we as a people in America have been richly blessed. We have a rich, rich, rich heritage from those who really sought the Lord in the early days and have given us a great foundation. And, and you know, you, you see that those people who do heart and soul follow after things of righteousness are going to be blessed by God's hands. They are. But if they don't, God will deal with them in his justice. So we'll go from the third point to the fourth point, and that's God works with all people too. You know, he's, he's bringing some to repentance. Others, he is hardening. That he would use Cyrus, a king. That he would use, uh, you know, Alexander the Great to really establish kind of the, the world and set it up for the time of Christ. God, God uses individual people. He will bring his story to pass in each and every one, through good or ill, within them. Our, our encouragement to them and exhortation to them would be that it be for good, that we would pursue and hunger and thirst after the living God. I saw a picture this morning of a letter that Ronald Reagan wrote to his father-in-law, who was dying 
And that was evangelistic. That he would trust in the Lord his God. That he would trust in Jesus Christ for eternal life. Because his grandfather or his, his wife's father was an atheist. And he was, he was writing him an evangelistic letter from the White House on White House stationery uh, on his deathbed. You know, that, that God would work in him even on his deathbed there, that he would use the President of the United States to ultimately touch a man. Up to the first point. And we saw this with regard to Israel. And we know this. We know this before Christ that man cannot fix his sin. After we have become believers, can we fix our sin? No. We can't at all. It has to be exclusively with the Lord's help. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, the, the ultimate, ultimate punitive payment was on the cross. And still in our flesh, as we sin, that payment was still covered on the cross, but our relationship with the Lord is, is marred, not... I mean, He's always there. He will never leave us nor forsake us, but we are in our sin. Happy in our sin until he brings discipline in our lives and we confess that sin. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. You know, and so we, he exhorts us that no, we can't fix our sins, so own it. Don't stew in it. Accept his forgiveness as you repent and then pursue him ultimately in holiness. And this, this is one we don't, we don't think of a lot. But we see it fleshed out kind of in Israel. And that's the, the second point. Where does this leave us? Is that oftentimes trying to fix things apart from repentance. If I don't have a repentant heart, but I'm just trying to fix things, you can goon things up a whole lot worse. You just make matters worse. As Israel did. Oh, we, you know, yeah, we sin. We're, we're going to fix this now. And we're going to go up and we're going we're gonna to be obedient now. No, 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 no. You are not fixing it in the way that God ordained you to fix it. And so you are just going to heap sin upon sin in your rebellion and trying to so do. At least they did. All right. Next week, we're going to start looking at the conquest of Canaan. And it really starts on the east side of the Jordan River in a land that wasn't originally, at least as fleshed out, part of the promised land. Becomes part of the promised land there, but wasn't fleshed out as such initially. Any final thoughts or questions?